One of my roles in the life of our church is to teach um, one of our pastors. That is a heavy, heavy role, but also can be incredibly helpful to you. This is the time in our weekly gathering where we sit under the reading and then the preaching of the word, that we might receive it, that we might be changed. So that's what we're doing together for the next few minutes. This is a standalone Sunday before we press into a longer preaching series together. We are getting our souls ready for another church year together. And so today I want to preach to you and to myself, preach to you and to myself about prayer and specifically about what we call petitionary prayer. So there's a myriad of different forms of prayer. They're all beautiful. There are prayers of confession. There are prayers of adoration. There are prayers of thanksgiving. There are prayers of lament. There are also prayers of petition. Sometimes we call it supplication. That's when we ask the living God to move. We ask him to act. We ask him for the good of ourselves, for the good of others, for the good of this broken world. We ask him to move. That's the kind of prayer that our text zeroes in on today. Before we hit this, there's one big principle that I got to put out before you. If we are not believing this, really actually believing this together, we'll never be able to pray. That is the fact, the gospel fact, that all the work of gospel advance happens in prayer. If you were talking to an old saint, they would say it to you like this, the thing gets done in prayer. The thing gets done in prayer. Every gospel task that gets accomplished, every gospel battle that gets won, every gospel promise that gets believed and then received, the thing was done in prayer. Scripture is filled with hundreds of examples of this. I'll give you one so that you have handles for it. The passion of Christ. Where was the battle of the cross fought? Where was that battle fought and won? First, in the garden. On the night before Jesus was tried and condemned and crucified, he was in prayer in a garden. All night long, deep, intense, sweating blood prayer, petitioning the Father. If there is any way for the cup of your wrath to be satisfied and drank from someone else, please let that happen. But even if not, not my will be done, but yours be done. By the time Jesus was facing his trial and his cross, the thing was done in prayer. Where did Seven Mile Road Church get planted? Is the first answer out of an old, nasty school hall on Highland Avenue in Malden. The first answer is this church got planted in a church library 
at the Forestdale Community Church on Wednesday nights. Myself, Angelo Stathophilus, and Joe Gallagher, the Puerto Rican, the Greek, and the, Ita- uh, the Irishman. The three of us got together with a hymnal. These old guys like to sing hymns and a Bible. And we prayed this church into existence by the grace of God. But the thing got done in prayer. Where does the conversion of our children to Christ get done? The thing gets done in prayer. Where does freedom from sexual addiction get done? The thing gets done in prayer. Where does a tough conflict in a gospel community get resolved? The thing gets done in prayer. Where does a hard conversation at the end of a leadership track happen? The thing gets done in prayer. Where does you teaching a great lesson to our kids like eight people are doing downstairs right now? The thing gets done in prayer. Where does a fruitful sermon get preached? The thing gets done in prayer. Can I take a risk with you? Because the most dangerous thing that a pastor can do is put themselves forward as a good example. Um, I'm not a good prayer, but I fear God and I love you. And so I would not step into this pulpit to preach to you without the thing having been carried in prayer. What that meant this week was uh, Friday afternoon on the floor in my room, I prayed for you and for this time together. I'm a bad prayer, so I literally have to get out my iPhone and set time so that I will stick with it. And I started it at zero and I was going to try and pray for this morning for 15 minutes. I ended up praying for 25 minutes, minus two, because my mother texted me right in the middle of me praying. And if you love your mother, you get back to her text. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. 23 minutes. This sermon is done because the thing gets done in prayer. What I'm saying is if anything good happens this morning, it happens because it's been carried in prayer. Father, you have to be with me because my words will be a useless joke if you don't give clarity and accuracy and power and truthfulness to our time together. This principle is true. If you don't believe it, you'll never begin to become the kind of prayer that the Lord intends for you to be. This principle is what the text today is about. I want you to hear this today as an invitation, not as a condemnation. I want you to hear the heart of Jesus in the words that Sarah read. Jesus is not scolding you for being a bad prayer. He already knows how bad of a prayer you are and I am. But he loves you. He is long-suffering and patient with you. And he wants to take you somewhere deeper in prayer. So do not think that the preacher is about to scold you for not praying enough. Jesus, through my words, is going to open a door and put his hand out that you might take it and walk through it with him.
if just the number of people in this room began to pray with a relentlessness. Your lives, your souls, the life of this church, and maybe this city, these cities, would be changed. So I want you to hear those words with that invitation from me. Okay, let's pray, and then I'll preach. Father, be gracious to us. We can't hear without your grace. We can't see without your grace. We cannot stick with prayer without your grace. Would you throw it down on us this morning? Thanks that we're even here and not somewhere else that we might hear this because destinies will be changed as you teach us to pray. Thanks for your patience with us. We revel in it and need it this morning. Amen. All right, will you work the words of scripture with me? The whole point is that these words would get down in your soul. So this is what Sarah read. This is what I get to preach to you. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. What is a parable? A parable is a short story that Jesus would use all the time that comes with a kick in the chest. A parable is a simple story that you can't miss the story, and then embedded in there is a punch. Like walking down the street and you're talking to your friend and you don't see the pole and you run into it. Whoa! There's a pole right there. That's how a parable works. You read it, and you walk into a pole, and then you back up and you say, I need to repent and believe the truth represented by the surprise or the kick in the story. So in this one, the Spirit just comes out and tells you what the pole is, just comes out and tells you what the punch is. All the guesswork is eliminated. Jesus really wants us to get this. He told them a parable. The effect was, the point was, that they would always pray and not lose heart. Okay, you're reading this. You should ask the question, what does always pray mean? Does that mean that we got to find some way to literally, physically, consciously be praying almost every second of our lives? Some kind of a 24-7 thing we can pull off. I'm eating, but I'm praying. I'm watching the Pats, but somehow I'm praying. I'm picking my kids up from school and going on around the rotary three times because I can't get out. Okay, you're praying inside of that rotary, but always, 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 always nonstop. Does this mean that the real gospel life would be all of us retreating to a cabin somewhere in the woods and living off the land and finding a way to pray almost 99% of our waking hours. No. What this is getting at is the idea of endurance or stamina or relentlessness or sticking with praying. There's no situation in your life, no season, no circumstance where it shouldn't be surrounded by resilient prayer. Jesus is calling you to a life of prayer. Okay, honesty today. Some of you never pray. Some of you have not prayed since 4th of July or even longer. You just don't pray. Some of you, some of us, barely pray. So like we're moved to prayer for a couple of reasons or when we get a text that someone's in the hospital, but that's about it. 
Some of us briefly pray. Let me get into that one. We briefly pray. So we believe in prayer. We love the Lord. We want to pray, but we lose heart in a hurry. It's thinking about reasons that this would be true in our lives. And I just said, let me put the mirror up for me and I'll talk about that. So here's my reasons why I only briefly pray. The first is I'm lazy. That's very true about me. It is so hard to pray. It is so easier to do a hundred other things. Sleep comes to mind. Watch highlights of the nastiest crossovers on YouTube. They have like hundreds of those videos. That's easy. Whatever your checkout thing to do is, we'll pull you away from prayer because this is tough. I only briefly pray because I'm lazy. That's true about me. Distracted. Is anybody else like that? Has anybody else prayed for like 11 seconds and then you're going, oh man, what time is the Celtics game on tonight? Who's coming over for dinner this week? Did I put the dryer on or not? Distracted. And so your prayers last this long. And not just in the moment, but over time. I'm going to pray this thing through. And by Thursday, I'm forgetting to pray. How about self-sufficient? This is huge with me. At the bottom, I am more convinced that my work is going to be the thing that gets it done than God's work. And so I begin to pray, and then I get some ideas in my head of things I can be doing, and I go do those things, praying. You know what? I really should send them an email. Oh, I forgot to write that paragraph. I have to update this. I have to organize that. And I briefly pray, but I give most of the time to my work because I'm the one who's really going to get this done. And then last one, and this is the big one from our text, we grow discouraged. Is anybody else like that? You set your heart to really pray about something and then it doesn't happen real fast and you grow discouraged. You lose heart. We're not talking about prosperity gospel nonsense prayers. You know, I want the Mercedes Benz. Why hasn't anyone pulled up to my house yet with the keys? I'm talking about gospel prayers that you begin to engage in and then you don't see movement and so you just lose heart. You grow discouraged. You only briefly pray. Jesus wants to change that from briefly to always this morning. And so he gives us this parable. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Okay, you got to feel the judge. Here we go. I'll put him over here. This is a man who has power and authority, and he could answer prayer if he wanted to. He's got some power. He neither fears God nor respects man. Okay, sometimes coming up with analogies for you people is wicked hard for me. And I'm like, how can I say this to help? This is the fastball of all fastballs for analogies based on what you have been enduring. And we will be enduring for the next 60 days until we vote a new president. We have a new authority coming to us in the 
office of president, both of our candidates are just like this. Do not fear God. Do not respect man. We have Mrs. Clinton running for office. She does not fear God. Did you see the very first thing that she did, the first thing when she received the nomination for president of the United States? She went to Planned Parenthood and she stood up and said, if I am president, I will continue the policy of killing sons and daughters in these United States of America. The first thing that she did was to defy God, to defy his law, to defy his commandment that you shall not kill innocent life and said, if I rule, I will not fear God. I am in on the continuation of abortion in America. Mr. Trump, just so I'm hitting both, is the definition of a judge and authority who does not respect man. Have you been following this? Potential future president of our country mocked a reporter with a physical disability, mocked a prisoner of war who fought for our country and survived captivity. He even mocked Russell Moore, who, like whether or not you agree with everything he writes, is just a good American guy who loves his wife and his kids and works hard and stays out of trouble. No respect for the image of God, even in people who disagree with him. History has been filled with people of power who do not fear God, who do not respect man. Jesus throws this parable our way and says, that's who we are dealing with. Do you have him in your mind yet? Whichever way you lean, you can flow that way and go, I got it, Cruz. This man has a small heart. He is motivated by self-interest. He is not out to help people in need. He is consumed by self-promotion. You feeling me? That's who this man is. Then Jesus says, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, you got to give me justice against my adversary. You have to give me justice. Judge here. All right, let's talk about the widow. What is she doing? She's making a petitionary prayer. She is praying for herself. And in a sense, she is praying for this broken world, right? She's saying, give me justice. Those are petitionary prayers. Help me and heal this world. That's her prayer. Feel the juxtaposition of these two characters. This woman is at the bottom of the social ladder of her day. Does she have an ability to give him a bribe? Does she have an ability to advance his political causes? Does she have an ability to help him with connections? Is she going to be able to advance his pleasure, his comfort, his security in any way? Does the widow bring anything to the table for this judge? Nothing. In our day, this would be like the immigrant family that I went and prayed with at the projects in Malden, just arrived from Vietnam. Poor, 
barely speak the language? Is there anything that that family can do to advance Governor Baker's life or cause? Nothing. No education, no influence, no connections, no money. This woman is weak and she is needy and she is poor. In the eyes of this judge, she would be like a fly that you just want to drive out of the room, a nuisance. Okay, let's put these two together, this judge and this widow, and what do you get? Here's what you get. There is no shot of this woman's prayer being answered ever. There is no chance that he is going to answer her prayer. How many times would you have to invite me to go to a NASCAR event with you before I would go? How many times did you have to invite me? Would 10 do it? Would 100 do it? Would a text message every 30 seconds for the next 52 years do it? We're connecting with some church planning networks to help partner in our work, and I was talking with this one guy from this one network, and he used a NASCAR analogy on me trying to sell me on their network. And I was like, Dad, that wasn't a good choice, brother. You can invite me day and night, and there's no chance that I'm going to watch cars drive around in a circle and be really loud and drink bad beer. I am not interested in doing that. You know how this parable is ending, the same way that that invitation would end, the same exact way. Two things are going to happen. Number one, he is not going to answer her prayer. And then what's number two? She is going to give up. Any doubt in this room right now that that's how this story ends? He's not going to answer. She's going to give up. All right, what do we get? For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Surprise. You read this and you're supposed to do what? You're supposed to go, wait a minute, wait a, whoa, no way. He actually answered this widow's prayer? Seriously? I did not see that coming. He did. And why did he answer her prayer? What's the only reason that he answered, the only one? She stayed at it. She did not lose heart. She would not give up endurance, stamina, relentless. This verb beat me down. I love it. It's like a boxer who just keeps throwing jabs. It literally comes from the word to strike someone under the eye until the eye turns black and blue and pink and swollen. And she's just, she's just coming at this judge. You remember Rock me, Rocky, Cut Me, Mick? That's that guy's eye right now. He does not want a razor blade slicing across the, the swollenness of his eye, so he just throws his hands up and says, Lady, I'll give you your justice. Just please back off. Her relentless praying got the thing done. That's the pole in this parable that you did not see coming. 
Okay, then Jesus says this. The Lord said, did you hear what the unrighteous judge said? Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? That's a rhetorical question. You're supposed to know the answer. What Jesus is actually doing is making an argument from, uh, you may be familiar with, from logic. I'm going to throw some Latin phrases up on the screen. Don't freak out. I'll explain them to you. Okay. Has anyone ever seen this before? Argumentum a fortiori. That means to make your argument from strength. And one of those examples, one of those applications of that kind of a logical argument is a minore ad maius, which means from the lesser to the greater, or to argue from the weaker case to the stronger case. Uh, This kind of argument is all over the scriptures to help you believe the gospel by arguing with you from the weaker to the stronger case. Okay, for example, if something is true in this lesser situation over here, it is definitely going to be true in this bigger situation. If you get wicked sick from eating McDonald's, what is going to happen to you if you go to White Castle? (laughs) If the Patriots spanked the Dolphins in September in Miami with Jimmy Garoppolo quarterbacking, what's going to happen when the Patriots play the Dolphins in Foxborough in December with Tom Brady back? When I was 16, I was really worried about passing my driver's license exam. You know, this three-point turn? I did it in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven points. I was nervous about this. Took the test right over here at Pine Banks at the armory over here. I was nervous about it for about two months until I heard that my friend, who is sweet, I adore her. We're still friends to this day, but she's a little batty. Is that the nice way to say it? Okay. Is that safe? When I heard that he had gone down to the Pine Banks armory and passed the test, how did I feel about my chances to get my driver's license? The thing is done. If, if she could handle the vehicle and pass that test, there's no way I'm not getting my license. And I'll finally be able to drive to Grace's house and pick her up for a date. Man, I was excited about that. Scripture is replete with this argument. Logic is given to us by God to help us grasp the truth in his world. And Jesus uses this argument right here. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Will not... God, give justice to his elect who cry out to him. Okay, so feel the argument. This just is unjust. The Lord is infinitely, perfectly, always just. This judge is miserly. His heart is tiny. God's heart is impossibly huge for us impossibly huge for us. This guy and this woman are total strangers. 
The Lord knows the widow. In other words, if a man with despicably shady character answers relentless prayer, what's going to happen when the one true and living God, whose character is perfectly holy, is gone after in prayer by his people? Don't miss the import of the word elect in Jesus' teaching here. This is pointing to the beautiful biblical doctrine of election embedded in which is the character of God, that he is filled with love, that he might save sinners, that he is filled with affection, that he might lay his love on you in particular to save you, that he is filled with determination that when the triune God determines something to be It will be that he is filled with power, that he has already accomplished all that is required for your salvation at immense cost to the Son. If this is who God is, and that is what he is like, if even a wicked man with no motivation to do what was right and no relationship of love for this woman, can be moved to action because she prayed. What in the world is going to go down in the life of this church this year if we begin to seek the face of our God? Here's Jesus' answer. I'm telling you, he will give you justice speedily. He will give justice to them speedily. Please feel the confidence in this verse of Scripture. Feel the assurance. The Father answers prayer. And he does it how? He does it speedily. Okay, let's work on that word together because I always get stopped in my tracks by this word. We know that that word cannot mean immediately. And it cannot mean quickly. And it cannot mean like within 11 seconds of us praying. It can't mean that. Do you know that Amazon Prime will deliver some stuff to you on the very same day that you ordered it now? It's unbelievable. You go online and you buy something and then by two in the afternoon, the guy in the brown shirt or the girl in the brown shirt is on your steps. You're like, I just ordered that thing. That's not what this word means. If we come down here to Dunkin' Donuts, it's 7 a.m. and there's 97 people working. And before you even say sausage, egg, and cheese croissant, you slide to the left and they're handing you the sausage, egg, and cheese croissant. That's good in the morning. That's not this word. Scripture is filled with stories of prayer where prayer goes unanswered for a while. Unanswered for even longer than a while. What's one of the primary refrains of the book of Psalms? How long, O Lord? Which is, how much longer do I have to wait for you to move? So speedily here cannot be referring to the time horizon of prayer being answered. What it refers to is the suddenness with which God answers prayer. The suddenness. So that we will know that he is the one who has acted in response to our prayers very often God waits, and he waits, and he waits, but then, boom, he answers 
in a hurry. You remember Moses and the exodus of the people of God from slavery? How long did they pray? Generations. How fast did their deliverance come? I love the text, he right? He says, when you go to sleep tonight, put your clothes on, tie your boots on, button up your jacket and get your staff in your hand. That's how fast I'm going to set you free. You've been waiting forever. It happens tonight. Boom. You remember Elijah, our brother, seeking the Lord that it would rain and he knew he had the promise from God that it would come and he prays and there's no answer. He prays and there's no answer. And he prays, 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 prays like the widow. Boom, boom, boom in the eyes of God, seeking, seeking, seeking an answer. And then what happens? You know, sometimes in your backyard it begins to rain a little bit and there's some few drops and you have enough time to go out and pull in the basketball so it doesn't get wet and do what else you need to do. You know how sometimes it's like there's a zipper on the sky and it opens and all the rain up there just comes down in a hurry? That's what happened with Elijah. The chariots got stuck in the mud because the flood came so fast. We seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. We seek the Lord. All of a sudden, in a moment or a season beyond our ability, boom, he answers. We don't give up praying because we know God's flow. There's always delay. He's teaching us so many things in that delay. But when he answers, the matter is settled in a moment, in a season, in an instant, speedily. Here's how we say it. God can accomplish more in five seconds than everybody in this room could accomplish in five weeks, in five years. He can do it like that. And then Jesus ends with these words, nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? At first, this might seem like a left turn to you from Jesus. Wait a minute, he was teaching about prayer, and now he's talking about faith. Yes, why? Praying and believing go together. Where you have one, you got the other. You believe in the goodness of God. You believe in the sovereignty of God. You believe in the heart of God. You believe in the power of God. That triggers relentless prayer. It carries prayer. If you believe that God is who he has revealed himself to be in Scripture, if you believe that he answers prayer, maybe slowly but speedily, what are you going to do? You're going to pray. You're going to pray. Simply put, the deeper that we believe the gospel, the deeper our prayer lives will become. They're going to go together. In John Calvin's commentating on this text, he says this. It's unbelievable. To know God as the sovereign disposer of all good, to believe that, inviting us to present our requests, Remember I said this was an invitational sermon? And yet, not to approach or ask of him is so far from availing us that it is just as if one who was told of a treasure allowed it to remain buried 
in the ground. Don't you love that? In other words, if I said to you, hey, there is a treasure, and it's buried right outside this church, right under that crusty seven-mile road sign that we're going to replace. It's right under that sign out there, a treasure. I'm telling you that it's there. And inside of this treasure is bricks of cash and gift certificates to footlocker and lids and the deed to a condo in Maui on the ocean, whatever you would like get crazy about. If I said that to you and you believed me, what would we find you doing as soon as Josh is done leading us through this last song? You'd be knocking on this dude's house and saying, do you have a shovel? Shovel, I need your shovel. And you would start digging. In the same way, Seven Mile, if we really believe the gospel that God is for us and he intends good for us. At any given moment, every season, every gospel community, every Every sermon, every meeting, every counseling session, every track, we're going to be praying and asking God to bless us and correct us and animate us and lead us and guide us. We're going to keep digging and keep asking because we are believing. That's what this verse is about. When Jesus comes, will he find believing faith on earth? What will the evidence be that we are a gospel-believing people? Like the widow, we will have been just jabbing at the Lord in humility, but with relentless confidence in prayer. If you came by my house on a random September afternoon this month, here's what you would find. Matt is 16, so he wouldn't be there. Remember when you were 16 and you just wanted to be somewhere else? Okay, so he won't be there. Brandon will be shooting hoops in the backyard. Lefty, why? Loves that sport. It has his heart. Julia will either be reading or she will be watching gymnastics videos. There's these three girls in Iowa with this giant backyard where it never rains, and so they've shot all these gymnastic videos. Just trust me, she'll be doing that. Callie will be singing or dancing or some combination, but definitely speaking in some way. Why? This is who they are. This is where their passions are. They have calibrated their hearts to do these things because they believe that their joy will be found in them. Here's my question. If somebody rolled into the life of Seven Mile Road, what would they find us doing? What would they find us doing? So there's a number of important answers to that question, but today the big one is this. Whoa, those people pray. Those those people carry what they do in prayer. Would Jesus find us praying? Let's pray together. Father, thanks for your word. It is just so helpful and, and so clear. Jesus, thanks that you don't bang on us for not being good enough prayers, but you woo us to learn to pray. I have great hopes for this church this year. And so we begin now by seeking you in prayer, and we're not nagging you. We're pursuing you. 
We're actually following your lead. And before anything happens, we say, would you be gracious to us? Would you convince our hearts of the truth of the gospel? Would you keep our eyes from lust and our mouths from slander and our hands from stealing? Would you cause us to love the weak? Would you help us to believe that you intend good and not harm for us? Would you save sinners through the preaching and the discipling of the life of this church? Would you give us an uncommon unity? Would you help us know how to be your people together for your glory and for our joy? We're going to be here next week, Lord. We're going to be praying again and the week after that and after that and after that. We're not going to lose heart that you intend to do beautiful things through the life of our church. So hear our prayer and answer. I pray. Amen.